The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it out to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your own way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Katie for reading that passage for us this morning. Um, hello, everyone. If you're tuning in and we've not met, my name is Russ Ramsey, and I am the pastor here of the Cool Springs location of Christ Presbyterian Church. And uh, before I get into this message, just a couple of things I want to mention. One, if you are tuning in with us, we'd love to have a record of that. If you could go to christpres.org slash here. Uh, and just let us know. That would be really helpful for us. And also, giving, we don't pass an offering plate, and we're live stream only today anyway, uh, but the way that you can give is you can give online. You can go to christpres.org slash give to do that. Um, and then finally, I want to just um, acknowledge that, you know, this morning when we got here, uh, the parking lot out, out there is just a sheet of ice. We were planning on holding two services in person and uh, just felt like the, the danger was too much to really uh, proceed with that. And so we had to make the call to go online only. And um, our confession of sin and assurance of pardon that Jonathan Payne just led us in uh, was something that he uh, recorded this morning when we let him know about that and sent us in. He was going to do that in person. And there are a lot of things that come together. Uh, in a service like this, to be able to pull it off live stream. And a lot of the reason that that happens is because of the, the attention to detail and the, and the uh, professionalism and the high quality of the work of Joe Gilder, uh, who leads us in music. But Joe has just, um, Joe made it so that, so that at 7.30, everybody's pumping their fists in the air in the room right now, the few that are here, um, because it's so true, that when we made this call at like 7.30 this morning, um, it was seamless, 
to be able to pull this off. And so uh, thank you, Joe, man, for, for doing that. And Corey Halterman as well, who is our um, sound guy on almost every Sunday here. And, uh, and Becca uh, Wilcox, who's also here and always helping. That this, These Sundays just go off without a hitch because of their faithfulness behind the scenes and Joe's leadership up here in front. And uh, I love being a part of this team. And it was really fun to see that all come together. And, and uh, anyway... I just felt I would be remiss if I didn't start the sermon by mentioning that. Okay, so this passage is a passage where we're talking about Jesus' advocacy for us. And um, I, maybe I wanted to, here's an image that I wanted to start with. Uh, you know that it's a trope in movies where, where uh, the hero is pressing through like a really crowded uh, city street kind of going against the traffic. Maybe it's like a big open air market or something like that. And is on his way to save the person in distress and he's going against just these crowds that are all pressing in. I think of Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, when Marion is taken captive and she's put in a basket and he's chasing after her and he comes around the corner and there's like 30 people carrying identical baskets and he knows she's in one of them and he just starts going through the crowd tearing down all the baskets and opening them up. It's, it's a picture, right, of, of advocacy, that he's being an advocate for her in that moment. He's running into the fray to rescue somebody who is in need of rescue and then he's giving that rescue and he's using his power to do it. And that's not a bad picture, I think, of Jesus' earthly ministry, that his advocacy for us is just this. It is him navigating the fall of humanity to pull us up out of the clutches of evil in order to bring us home. And in today's passage, we see some examples of this that I think are just beautiful and complex and uh, something worth talking about this morning for sure. And also, I want to encourage you to, um, to dig into these passages on your own. Use a good study Bible. You can find them online. Read a commentary about these passages in Mark. Uh, you can use Tim Keller's very helpful book, Jesus the King, uh, which is a study on the Gospel of Mark. Um, and there are plenty of other resources, but there's a lot that in this passage that I'm not going to touch uh, today just for, for time. But I want to encourage you always... Just because I don't say something about it here on Sunday, there's plenty. You can do whatever research you want to do. Uh, and I encourage you to do that, to develop the habit of researching. But we're going to look at a couple of things here. And I want to just tell you kind of the overall structure of uh, this message. There's basically four things we're going to cover uh, Two in, in a little bit more depth and two pretty briefly. Um, but they have to do with the advocacy of Jesus. And the first is the truth of it or the fact of it. That Jesus is our advocate uh, and it's just the way he is. Uh, and then we're going to look at the compassion of his advocacy. The love that drives it and motivates it and is present there in it. And then we're going to look at the knowing power of his advocacy, that when we're in peril, we see only a fraction of the peril that really is there, but he sees it all. Uh, he knows fully the depth of what it is that we need. And then we're going to talk about the wonder of his advocacy, which is really our call to respond to it. As we see here in this passage at the end, when the people saw Jesus heal and they were astonished and he said, don't say anything about this, but they couldn't help it. Uh, they couldn't help but spread the word. So let's start first with the truth of his advocacy. There are things in this passage, uh, little uh, bits of, of language that as I was reading it uh, on my own in preparation for this, they just kind of jumped out at me as interesting. 
uh, interesting phrases, interesting ways of saying things. And the first is, is, is here in the very beginning of the text that it says he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. There's a lot happening in that statement. This passage opens by telling us that Jesus was getting away from where he had been. And you may ask the question, well, why is he getting away? Well, the passages before, if you read this in context, read chapter 6 and what happens in chapter 7 before here, you see that, that, that there are two real sources of increasing conflict that are happening in and around Jesus that are kind of turning up the pressure. The first is a conflict with Herod. Uh, so this is a, a governmental uh, uh, threat. And then there's the Pharisees, which is more of a cultural and religious uh, conflict. So in chapter 6, John the Baptist is beheaded. He's beheaded for the message that he is proclaiming. What was the message John the Baptist was proclaiming? He was proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. So John the Baptist was put to death for his proclaiming the coming of Christ, who was there. And then in, in chapter 7, so, so there's some heat coming there. And then in chapter 7, Jesus is in this conflict with the Pharisees over what law-keeping really looks like. And they wanted to destroy him. They wanted to put him to death. We talked about this last week. And so what's happening here is in both of those cases, with Herod and with the Pharisees, the ministry of Jesus is being opposed, um, his, his ministry is opposing systems that were meant to constrict and control people uh, and to confine them into empty allegiances, uh, and both Herod and the Pharisees really wanted Jesus just out of the picture. They wanted him gone. So Herod killed Jesus' predecessor, and the Pharisees were also looking for a way to destroy Jesus. And so what does he do? He goes into the region of Tyre and Sidon. The reason that's significant is because Tyre and Sidon is a Gentile area. So he's really leaving um, Israel proper and he's going into a Gentile region. And the reason he's doing it is because he's wanting to lay low. But here's the thing. The news of Jesus has spread. And the reason it's spread is because he's a healer. Uh, he's somebody who has done the unthinkable. He's performed miracles, and word of that spreads. And so, even in the region of Tyre and Sidon, which was not particularly warm toward um, the, the Jewish people and, and the, the faith of Israel, he's there, and people know about him, and they know what it is that he has done. And they'd heard about his compassion. They'd heard about the way that he loves people. And so to those in need, no matter where he went, he had this reputation of being an advocate for the helpless. And so that's what happens here. And this is the truth of his advocacy, as Jesus was and is an advocate for the helpless. In other words, the stories are true. The stories about him are true. The truth is, Jesus is, because he is God, he is an advocate for the hurting and needy. He was then, he still is. And so going into another region didn't change that. It's just the truth of the matter. It's the fact. Uh, and so people in need, in Tyre and Sidon, when they heard that he was there, they began to seek him out. Why? Because they believed that he could give the help that they needed. Uh, that's, that's the picture here. The, the truth is, Jesus was and remains an advocate. So that is part of the nature of who he is. Then we move into the compassion of his advocacy. And one of the uh, 
kind of most a very puzzling passage here where Jesus has this conversation with this mother who has a child who is demon-possessed. And she asks him for mercy. She asks him for help. And Jesus says to her this. This gets kind of strange in a hurry, doesn't it? He says this. Let the children be fed for Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. (laughs) What is going on there? Well, let's frame the scene first. There's the Gentile woman and she comes to Jesus with a need. And the need is her daughter is possessed by a demon. Now, the chances are really good that what I just said might have lost you a little bit because we listen to everything we hear, most of us, through very Western ears. And in the West, we don't think a lot about the reality of demons. Uh, In fact, many of us would say, well, it probably wasn't a demon. It was probably just something that's in the DSM-4, and they just didn't have that diagnosis then. Okay, I don't know, though. But what we do see here is we see this woman come and she says, my daughter is possessed by a demon and, and out of this flows compassion for her. And the compassion is on display when you think about what Jesus had to navigate in this world. The baskets that he had to overturn in order to meet this woman and to care for her. Uh, because there were barriers that he had all the things that he had to overcome. And we see several of them just in this one story. Jesus' world was divided. Ours is too. Folks back then put people into categories and then they tried to sort people by those categories and if possible, keep people in their particular groups. That still happens too. So here are some of the barriers that Jesus would have to overcome in order to, culturally, in order to minister to this woman. And I frame it this way as obstacles that Jesus had to overcome because in this particular story, what's important to note is he is the one with power. He's the one who has power in this story. And the story bears that out. She has no power. He has all the power in this exchange. So what are some of the barriers? Well, there's the gender barrier. Jewish men didn't talk to women uh, and so there's a, there's a gender barrier there where a woman is approaching a man asking the man for help. There's a racial barrier. The Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. And so there was a huge divide. That's if you read any scripture, you know that that's there. And that is a, a fragile um, coexistence between, between the Jew and the Gentile world. So there's gender, a gender barrier. There's a racial barrier. There's a political barrier. Um, Israel opposed uh, Rome. As an occupying force, Gentiles, many of them were Roman, uh, or at least they benefited from Roman rule in some way. They didn't pine, certainly. They didn't pine for Israel to be in charge. So there's a gender barrier, a racial barrier, a political barrier. There's a generational barrier because the woman was there for her child. So she's asking this uh, respected rabbi, this respected Jewish leader, to give his attention in what is kind of effectively a vacation, um, in, in a sense, uh, to, to take care of a, of a child. And then there's a spiritual barrier. 
that Jews and Gentiles believed differently about God. And so all these things are in play. There's, a, there's gender barrier, racial, political, generational, religious. And there are barriers with us too, right? We, we, we feel the barriers as well with one another. And all of these barriers were in place. So um, the woman came to Jesus knowing that in an ordinary context, her coming to Jesus with all these barriers in place, her coming to Jesus might as well be a beggar approaching a king. But here's what she did know when she came. Here's why she came to Jesus. Think about this. What she knew was this. She knew. She knew the sweet warmth of a newborn laid across her breast. She knew the hope that rises in any mother's heart as her child's personality begins to unfurl and show, as they learn to communicate, as they become these individual marvels. She knew the tenderness and the ferocity of a mother's love. So as she witnessed this child that she loved so much descend into torment, her heart broke and also rose with a determination to find her some help. And so she hears of Jesus and she breaks every cultural barrier hoping that he might show compassion because of this. Knowing that she was trying, that what she was trying to do was seen as beneath the dignity of a respected rabbi. Here's where you see the compassion of Jesus. Jesus did not see her through cultural barriers. He saw her through the lens of Genesis chapter one as an image bearer of God and as worthy of his compassion as anybody. So, I'd be remiss if we didn't expound a little bit on this strange exchange that they have with each other because you could read this and you could say, wait, did Jesus just call her a dog? Is that what's going on in this passage? Is this exchange hostile? What's going on here? When you read commentaries about this, they'll, they'll, they'll lean more in the direction of playful uh, than hostile. Um, but, but here's what's happening. The woman falls at Jesus' feet and she begs for help. And Jesus tells her that the children must be fed first. Now, Sinclair Ferguson, who is a highly respected uh, theologian, he, he says this. He says, Jesus, what Jesus is doing here is he's testing her to see what she really wants. So he's engaging her in a conversation to see where, where she's really coming from, to, to cause her to show her hand. Because what she's doing is she's interrupting a meal that's intended to be a time of rest and reprieve for Jesus and his disciples. And so, in a way, he's saying, let us eat. And he's asking the question, he's testing to see, is she sniffing around because she knows that Jesus here is here and she thinks that he's a miracle man? That he's, that, he's, uh, that he's a medicine man? That he's somebody who can just perform tricks? And And so that's what he's asking her. And in saying this, he's also acknowledging the reality that Pharisees considered Gentiles to be dogs, which was not a compliment. And so he's acknowledging the barrier as he's fishing to see how she 
might think of him. And her response to him is pretty profound. Because she says, her response is basically, okay, but can't compassion extend to me too? That's what she's saying. Can't compassion extend to me too? And this is what Jesus wanted her to know, is that yes, it can. And it does. And ironically, this at that time, would have been the most controversial moment in the entire exchange. Not that Jesus uses the word dog, but when a Gentile asks for God's mercy, Jesus says yes. That was the real controversy then. They both knew the barriers, but Jesus showed compassion. He showed the compassion of his advocacy by reaching beyond cultural divides to minister to this image bearer. And not only this, but he does something pretty brilliant here. Listen, I just said Jesus did something pretty brilliant. That's a ridiculous thing for me to say. But here's what happened. Here's what's brilliant about this that, 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 that just jumps out at me. is He heals the daughter in such a way that he draws his disciples his disciples' attention to the legitimacy of the Gentile woman's faith. So he heals the daughter in such a way that his disciples witness Jesus affirming the legitimacy of a Gentile woman's faith, which is doing what? It's preparing them. It's preparing them to minister the compassion of Christ across lines of division. He's modeling for them what it is that they will be called to undertake and very soon when he goes to the cross and then rises and sends them out into the world as apostles for the early church. So he's modeling for them how to care for people who are different and how to legitimize and validate the faith of people who are not part of the Jewish religion, calling them to trust in faith in Christ alone. So that's, that's the compassion of Jesus here on display. And then you have the, the knowing power of his advocacy. So there's really two vignettes in this passage that we read. This encounter with this woman, and the child is healed. And then he moves on, and he goes into another town, and there's a man who uh, was deaf and unable to speak. And here's another place where uh, a strange turn of phrase is used. I'm not going to get too much into the healing itself, uh, except to say it's pretty unusual what happens here because here Jesus spits and then he puts his fingers into the man's ears. Um, if you're curious about that, by all means, look it up. Uh, there's, there's lots to dig into here that's pretty fascinating, um, but he's kind of living out. Uh, he's kind of being a living parable of, of a healing in this moment of a restoring. But the thing that I really want to highlight and focus on here. Um, is the strange note that before healing the man, Mark tells us that Jesus sighed. Says this, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to the man, Ephrathah, that is, be opened. What's going on here? It's a rare mention of Jesus' emotion. Sinclair Ferguson, again, he described the sigh as this. Uh, I'm going to quote him here. He described it as, quote, an expression of the deep sorrow and anger our Lord felt at the ravages of the fall in the lives of men. 
It was the sigh of God for the hearts of his needy creation. And yet, you know this feeling. I know that you know this feeling. Where something seemingly small happens, but you feel just a deeper weight. You feel a greater weight. It happened to me uh, this week. And so let me illustrate that, that feeling that we all get, uh, where there's something in us that's, that's, something happens, but it stirs something deeper. Um, I don't think that every Sunday moving forward, I'm going to talk about my puppy, but this is three weeks in a row, and here we are. I'm going to do it again. A few days ago, our puppy Johnny, who's 10 weeks old, suddenly couldn't walk or stand, and he had a 104 fever, and all of the puppy spirit had just departed from him, and we'd had him for two weeks, and we just felt helpless. Now, the first thing I got to tell you is he's okay. Uh, He's home. He is recovering, so this is not, the story doesn't end in a sad way. I want you to know that, Um, but here's what I want to say about it. When it became apparent to me that something was seriously wrong with our dog, my heart was overcome with grief. Just overcome with grief. To, to where I, I, I was not okay. If, if you'd have seen me in, those, in, in that, that evening when we, when we knew and in that morning, it, I was not okay. And many of you know that I lost my father a couple of months ago, pretty unexpectedly. And what happened is, I just had a son join the army as well, and what happened is Johnny's sickness dredged up deep, deep grief. Uh, And at one point this week, the sorrow that I felt was as deep as what I experienced the day my dad passed away. It was like that. And it was that Johnny's malady dredged up a deeper sorrow. And I think that this helps us understand Jesus' sigh. Because there were those present, uh, to those present, the problem was that here's a man who can't speak uh, and he can't hear. But that wasn't the problem from where Jesus was sitting. When we talked about Jesus in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, you know, we mentioned that it's such an ironic moment when the disciples wake him up and say, don't you care that we're perishing? Not realizing they're waking the second person of the Trinity in the flesh for the purpose of delivering them from their perishing, but not just the perishing in that boat on that storm, but in, in, in sin and in separation from God. That, that's what's happening here. The problem just wasn't just that the man couldn't hear or speak, it's that, it's that the world is filled with unhearing people. It's, it's a world that is, that is filled with people who, who, are, who are unable to comprehend uh, the message of the gospel and the effects of the fall had so corrupted us all that the physical healing that was going to happen there in that moment really met only a fraction of the deeper need that we all have. And so there's this knowing power of Jesus' advocacy. For the prayers that you throw up in distress and dismay, Jesus, help me. He knows far more about that distress than even you do when you pray that prayer. He knows more about the depth. But listen, is Jesus our advocate? It's a fact. It's the truth. What kind of advocate is he? He's a compassionate one. He's a loving one. 
And not only that, he's one who sees the depth of our need more than we ever could. And so, there's this knowing power of Jesus' advocacy for us. He knows the depth of our need. And all the complicated ways that we suffer and we grieve and we struggle and we get ourselves lost. And when you call to him for help, though you may comprehend only a fraction of the depth of your need, he sees it fully and he meets it perfectly. Frederick Buechner wrote this, and I think it's a powerful statement. He says, whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come from and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next. So pay attention to the sigh that comes in the face of distress and problems. Pay attention to your tears and know that Christ knows the depth of what's behind them. And he responds with compassion. And it's just the way he is. We close with the wonder of his advocacy. And the wonder is this. You know, it says Jesus charged them to tell no one about this healing. It's the only, this is not the only place in the Gospels where Jesus performs a miracle and tells people don't say anything about this. And invariably what happens is they all go talk about it. Uh, they all go talk about it. And it says here, the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Uh, and they were astonished beyond measure. Because here's the truth, when you are a witness to the advocacy of Jesus Christ in your own life or in the life of somebody that you love, when you're a witness to the truth and the compassion and the knowing power of his advocacy, it's hard to keep quiet about it. At Christ Prez, one of our values is that we would befriend the hurting and the marginalized. This is, as we can see from this passage, nothing less than a call to imitate Jesus. And another value that we hold very dear, is that we would be a church of people who worship. We would be worshipers, walking with the Lord and with his people. And this means that we notice and we celebrate his advocacy with wonder. That's a lot of what worship is, is noticing and celebrating the wonder of his advocacy and then proclaiming it with words, that we're public about it, that we tell each other of the goodness of Jesus. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would be a church, that we would be people who would be so moved by the truth and the compassion and the knowing power of Christ's advocacy for you that you cannot help but bear witness to him and that you would do that through your words, through your exclamations, through your tears, and through your joy because it's all true. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these passages of Scripture where the original audience reading this would have understood more than we do the complexity of the barriers that stood between a Gentile woman in a Gentile region advocating for a sick daughter to a respected Jewish leader. There's so many things that would have made it just pretty unheard of. And yet, 
in both of these cases, people in need are healed. And that's what happens. That's, that's how you minister to your people, Lord, as you, you know the depth of our brokenness and you respond to it perfectly. That's why you were here. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you would guide us in the wonder and the truth of this, that we would celebrate the compassion of your love and advocacy for us, and that we would have a reverence of heart and mind when we consider the knowing power of your advocacy, that what we ask you to do on our behalf is usually only scratching the surface of what you know we need, and you hold nothing back from us. You give us all good things, so we thank you for that. Lord, as we now wrap up this service with this closing song, let these words really minister to our hearts where we sing about your abiding presence with us as we ask you to abide with us. Lord, remind us of the promise of your presence daily. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.